broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Midtown Business Radio. Hey, what's up, everyone? It is C.W. Hall. Thanks for checking out the Midtown Business Radio Show. On this week's episode, we continued our twice-monthly series with Dr. Gilles Lamarche, Vice President of Professional Relations from Life University, as we lead up to the Life Talks World Congress event coming up in May, the 12th and the 13th. This year's Life Talks World Congress event will be focused on integrity and will be featuring thought leaders on the subject. If you're someone who enjoys consuming content that will help enrich your life and improve you in various ways, we certainly encourage you to take part in the event and get registered as soon as you can. Jill and I were joined in the studio by some excellent guests this week. I had recently met Kelly Burton of the Nexus Research Group, and she brought along with her Quinitha Frazier, also known as Q, of Social Impact Advisor. Together, these two ladies work with not-for-profit organizations, helping them with their grant writing, assessing what they are trying to achieve as a not-for-profit through their charitable work, making sure that they're actually able to accomplish in the community what they're trying to accomplish, therefore helping them be that much more effective when it comes to talking to potential fundraising partners. Here's Kelly and Q talking about what they do for their clients. Whether you're a for-profit, a non-profit organization, government agencies, they all want to do good and they have programs to help them do that, but they don't necessarily know how to do it. And at Nexus Research Group, we really have a lens towards social impact. So it's not just about giving the money away or doing the programming. It's about getting the most bang for your buck to achieve the greatest impact possible. So there are a whole lot of points along the continuum. And I say to get from A to Z, you've got to go through the whole alphabet, right? So if you're going to change, let's say um, we're focusing on youth and education, that's an easy one for folks to wrap their heads around. You've got an after school program. First of all, you've got to figure out the outreach. Because you think, oh, if I build it, they will come. Well, not necessarily. You need to have your partners in place, right? That's where I was going to go. And yeah. so you need to make sure you have your partners in place. You need to make sure that that, that partnership is functional, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, then you have to do the outreach. And then if you get the outreach right and they come, then it's a matter about making sure you've got the right programming, the right curriculum mm-hmm. in place. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's say that works. Then it's about the redundancy. So there are all these steps along the way that you've got to measure. So it's not just about saying, oh, we're going to do a program, we're going to do it five days a week, we've got this curriculum, and we expect an uptick in 10 points on, um, you know, uh, standardized test scores. No, there are a lot of things you got to hit. It's almost like the stars need to align perfectly in order for that to work. And, and what I will add is understanding the scope of the problem in the beginning, because I think one of the, the one of the burdens that nonprofits face is you know, figuring out how much of the elephant they want to bite off, right? Because mm-hmm. you look, you can, yeah. you can look at something like high school um, graduation rates at at a high school level at you know a one unit, or you can look at it for a region. <clears throat> in Charleston, right. they're yeah. tackling mm-hmm. it in a tri county. So, what does that mean? More partners, more people need to be at the table, and so the the path that Kelly is describing you know, will require more milestones, more benchmarks, figuring out how do we get there, how long it's going to take us to get there. And so, you know, it, it sounds like Greek to a lot of nonprofits to even speak this way because they're looking at two things, sustainability and sustainability. I mean, they're really just trying to keep their head above water and determine how they're going to keep funding. So I guess one of the things that Kelly and I face constantly is helping them to not be so funding focused, you know, just trying to get the money Mm -hmm. in the door, Mm -hmm. but to really be look to really take a better look at impact. Melissa Smith is the CEO and founder of a company called Marketing Eye, started the company in Australia, now located on three continents and growing fast. 
She saw a need and an opportunity to meet the full gamut of marketing needs for the small business community, giving them access to an outsourced solution, giving them access to experts in web design, graphic design, storytelling, branding, and rebranding in many cases. In addition to successfully growing through organic launches of Marketing Eye offices in the U.S. and around the globe, the company has begun to accelerate their growth through licensee relationships, linking up with established, experienced, high-quality marketing professionals in key strategic markets around the United States and abroad. Melissa has established some aggressive goals for the growth of Marketing Eye in the United States and abroad, and here she is talking a little bit about the licensee opportunity that they offer to those established marketing experts. And she also shared some information about the key leadership role she's looking to fill to oversee their North American expansion in the form of a CEO. At the moment, we have five licensees and three earlier licensees. They're now hitting, you know, between the six months and the 12 month mark. Now they paid between 15,000 and 25,000 for a license. And each of them are on $300,000 a year now. Good for you. They would never have been able to do that on in corporate. Mm-hmm. No way. And, you know, some of one of them had a business for eight years, so a marketing business for eight years. And she said, I never made 300000 in a year. To be able to do that, oh, my God, that's so powerful. Mm-hmm. That's so exciting. I'm creating an opportunity for this person to grow and do something that they love, work less hours, and have a brand that they're really, really proud of. And they're actually helping me evolve it and expand it and build it okay. in a way that I would never have been able to do myself. And these people have brains. They're really smart cookies. So they're able to bring something to the table. It allows me to completely continue that innovative process that makes us you know, work harder, faster, smarter, and keeps us uh, uh, apart from the competitors. Everyone's walking this way. We're always walking the opposite direction. <laughs> Good, I like always. That. Disruptive, I like that. And um, we're disruptive by design. Yeah. Um, we go into businesses with change in mind. You know, all of those things that are really, really important. We're definitely looking for a CEO. We have obviously quite aggressive marketing strategy for ourselves. I really want to finish this business plan. Um, it's no point in me starting my next one until this one's finished to to the end. You know, you realize as an entrepreneur, you're really good at some things. You're not good at everything. And (laughs) the the best thing any entrepreneur can do is realize their limitations Mm -hmm. and understand what you're good at and what you're not. And I'm very in touch with those things. And I'm looking for a CEO. I'm looking for someone who's hungry, who's ambitious, who's ethical, who's kind. And kindness is so important in our organization. Yeah, and somebody who really can see our vision and can see how it can develop throughout the US. Um, the US market is really important to us, but, you know, Europe as well, and then there's Asia, and, and you know, who really wants to be part of that. Um, I also want someone who wants to be the voice. Stuart Sanford of Mazone and Associates also sat in with us. They're a mergers and acquisitions advisory firm based here in the Atlanta area. They provide comprehensive transactional services for mid-market companies, private equity groups, and individuals who are buying and selling companies, perhaps raising capital and even helping them restructure their debt. Here's Stuart talking about the fact that Atlanta is beginning to now be competing on a national level with some of the markets that were traditionally known to be great locations for tech startups and other companies to launch their business close to 
established venture capital and investment banking resources. Atlanta has a really strong fintech early stage community and venture community, as well as a, as a really strong healthcare venture community. There are other industries, and there's a lot of not-for-profit groups and other groups who are helping to bring a lot of those capital providers down here to, and also executives as well, who help found companies like our great entrepreneurs that we have here in town, as well as throughout the Southeast. So yes, there's a lot of initiative of bringing both capital providers as well as uh, companies down here, incentives as well to bring those entities. If you look at some of the incubators that have been established, I think you're starting to see a lot of those companies, not all of them hit, but see a lot of those companies really come to fruition and mature and start to get to that stage where they're starting to hire large employment bases and support the community more. And what usually generates that environment is usually you have your first or two um, earlier stage companies grow and have a big hit. And a lot of those founders end up funding or supporting or being mentors to that next wave of companies. And so maybe where Silicon Valley or New York or some of the major metro hubs maybe had a a step ahead on Atlanta and Georgia overall in the Southeast, we're seeing a lot of activity of early stage companies really show a lot of growth, be disruptive, present different ideas and perspectives in their sub-markets and really make some change in the world. And it's really exciting to work with those companies as they look to execute their strategies. And we're part of the puzzle, but oftentimes part of a greater team trying to help them execute that. Don't go anywhere. I've got the full interview with Kelly Burton, Q Frazier, Melissa Smith, and Stuart Sanford coming up next. Good morning, everyone. It is C.W. Hall, your host here on the Midtown Business Radio Show. Thank you for making us a part of your day today. We've got a full slate today, so we're going to get right down to it. Joined in the studio, as I have been for a little while now, on our continuing series with Life University, Dr. Gilles Lamarche, Vice President of Professional Relations for Life University, joining me as he has been for the past couple of months now. Good morning, C.W. Pleasure to be here once again with some great guests and obviously a great host. That's right. And we've been doing a series featuring business leaders from the community who exemplify integrity in their professional and their personal lives. And and everyone sitting at the table today, I can assure you, fits right into that very nicely. And we've been introducing folks to the event that you have coming up in May. If they're not familiar with Life Talks World Congress, introduce folks to what we're looking at coming up here in May. They can find information on Life Talks at lifetalks.org. It's an event hosted at Life University on May 12th, 13th this year, featuring um, an array of speakers from across the United States, for example, Dr. Barbara DeAngelis is coming in to speak on the integrity and relationships, and Dr. Michael Benelli is coming up from New York and speaking on environmental sustainability. And so really integrity from life through the birth, through the entire life process, I would say from birth through the life process, um, including a speaker from the Atlanta Birth Center and you know an, an array of ph- phenomenal speakers. And it's May 12th and 13th? May 12th and 13th on the campus of Life University. And uh, I hope that uh, our folks listening have a chance to get up there and uh, experience this event, be able to see the Life University campus and, uh, you know, see what a beautiful layout that you have up there. The the property is really nice. It was interesting. And it's always interesting because even this morning with one of your guests, I'll be speaking later. So, you know, we she knows about Life University for its chiropractic program. But Life University also has 12 undergrad programs, four mm-hmm. master's degrees. Most of them focused in the healthcare arena from sports health sciences to athletic therapy to dietetics, nutrition, um, positive psychology. So some phenomenal programs. And Life University, we're now at about 3,000 students, and our goal is to double our enrollment by 2020. So it's a the not-so-little university that's changing the world. That's right. And I've really been pleased to 
be able to make this channel available for Life University to be able to share its story, introduce it to the community on a broader scale where we can actually talk about some of the things that you have available there at the university. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I that really kind of draws me to what you're doing there at Life is not not that you're offering programs in health sciences, for example, in business, but you take it to another level and there's vitalism as part of that, uh, helping the body heal itself and be whole and things like that. So there's a little element to that that maybe you're not going to get someplace else. And it's really taught, thought, taught throughout the programs. I mean, we even have, you know, at LifeTrice, we're going to have one of the breakout sessions on compassionate business. Well, compassion is taught through our programs at Life University as well, because it's such an important part of relationship building and just living a, a life that's really fulfilling. Well, I, I hope that uh, folks get out there to check out the website, learn more about the event. You can register there. Um, our guests will have, I think they have a, an opportunity to actually register for uh, less than full full freight, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. And um, so hopefully some of our folks that are here with us may be able to join, but I'll, I'll introduce the, the guests that are with us in the studio as well. We have Quinitha Frazier, also known as Q. Hi, good morning. <laughs> She's a social impact advisor, and you focus a lot in the fundraising, oh, yeah. not, not-for-profit yes, space. Yes, funding. And uh, we got Kelly Burton of Nexus Research Group, also helping the, uh, the not-for-profit organization space. Yep, CW. Thanks I enjoyed talking to you the other day. Yeah, yeah. Excited to be here. And I was really happy to catch her in the country. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa Smith of Marketing Eye. Joining us with the studio here. And uh, then I also have Stuart Sanford. He's a vice president with Mazon and Associates, M&A experts here from the Atlanta area. Thank you for having me. And so we'll start with you, Kelly and Q. Um, I uh, had a chance to, I guess we, we connected on LinkedIn as where I met you. That's right. And started learning a little bit about what you're doing in the space, helping organizations that are not for profits do their thing on a more efficient level and a little bit more, I guess, successful level when they're delivering their services to community that they can have a higher sense of confidence that what they're setting out to do is achieved. That's right. Whether you're a for-profit, a non-profit organization, government agencies, they all want to do good and they have programs to help them do that, but they don't necessarily know how to do it. And at Nexus Research Group, we really have a lens towards social impact. So it's not just about giving the money away or doing the programming. It's about getting the most bang for your buck to achieve the greatest impact possible. Well, talk a little bit about your background. I thought it was interesting. You've been in the uh, not-for-profit space for a while and uh, have kind of refined your focus over time. But talk about how you got here. That's exactly right. So Nexus Research Group was founded in 2009. um, And historically, we've done a lot of evaluation work. So how it works is if a Boys and Girls Club or YMCA goes to the government or to a big foundation and asks for a million, five million, ten million dollars, that funder is going to want to make sure that nonprofit did exactly what it said it was going to do when it asked for the money. So we would essentially audit that programming to make sure it hit all of its metrics. Well, what I've learned after 10 years of being in this industry is oftentimes $10 million, $20 million, $30 million in, we find out that there are really systemic factors that never really gave that program an opportunity to be successful. So we're refocusing. It's almost like, uh, I, I describe it this way, it's kind of morbid, but going from being a coroner 
to focusing on preventive health. So don't hire me when it's time to kind of cut the program open and see, you know, why it died or what happened. We want to work with our clients on the front end to figure out, okay, how can we ensure that this is going to be a healthy program that's going to achieve all the goals that you set out from the very beginning? Now, are there a set of issues that you typically would run into when you were working with some of these not-for-profits that maybe they weren't hitting the goals that they wanted to achieve? Or are you seeing, as in your experience, did you find kind of a set of common themes uh, running through those? Sure. And, and Q can jump in on this because she's got a lot of expertise in this area as well. But oftentimes people think that social programming is easy. Uh, they think it's soft and it's fuzzy. And so you can kind of go in there with an after school program and you can drive up the high school graduation rates in six months. Right. And it's not that easy. It's actually very, very complicated. Social issues are complex. And if you don't have programming that's very sophisticated, chances are you're not going to move the needle in any way, shape or form. You're just going to be really tapping the surface. You'll feel good doing it, but doesn't yes. really achieve yeah. what you want. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things that I and, and like Kelly, I primarily work to prepare those nonprofits to get to those funders. And what I found is most of these um, executive directors and boards don't approach the social issue in a quantitative way, right? So, you know, if you need to end homelessness, what does that mean? And you, in, in thinking about the type of inputs, you know, what will it take to get a meal to a homeless person? What will it take to get a homeless person in a bed? You really have to think about that from the front end, right? And then figure out how much does that cost? How many people will it take to get that meal to that person? And then ultimately, what do we expect the outcome to be? Will that homeless person not be hungry anymore? Will they not be homeless anymore? So, you know, a large part of what we do is ensuring that the organization is mindful of what it will take to accomplish the goal that they set out. And how do they measure that? You know, how do they, how, how do we know we've hit success at the end of the day? And how do you measure some of these things that I'm sure one with the broad population that you're facing, you're going to try to increase high school graduation rates, for example. I mean, I mean, that one may be a little bit more easy to measure, I suppose, but something like, you know, facing homelessness and some of those perhaps might be difficult to quantify. So how do you get to that so that they can actually know they're doing what they want? Sure. So there are a whole lot of points along the continuum. And I say to get from A to Z, you've got to go through the whole alphabet, right? So if you're going to change, let's say um, we're focusing on youth and education, that's an easy one for folks to wrap their heads around. You've got an after-school program. First of all, you've got to figure out the outreach because you think, oh, if I build it, they will come. Well, not necessarily. You need to have your partners in place, right? That's where I was going to go. And yeah. so you need to make sure you have your partners in place. You need to make sure that that, that partnership is functional, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, then you have to do the outreach. And then if you get the outreach right and they come, then it's a matter about making sure you've got the right programming, the right curriculum mm -hmm. in place. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's say that works. Then it's about the redundancy. So there are all these steps along the way that you've got to measure. So it's not just about saying, oh, we're going to do a program. We're going to do it five days a week. We've got this curriculum and we expect an uptick in 10 points on, um, you know, uh, standardized test scores. No, there are a lot of things you got to hit. It's almost like the stars need to align perfectly in order for that to work. And and what I will add is understanding the scope of the problem in the beginning, because I think one of the, the one of the burdens that nonprofits face is, you know, figuring out how much of the elephant they want to bite off. Right. Because mm -hmm. you look you, can, you yeah. can look at something like high school um, graduation rates 
at, at a high school level at, you know, a one unit, or you can look at it for a region. <clears throat> in Charleston, right. they're yeah. tackling mm-hmm. it in a tri-county. So what does that mean? More partners, more people need to be at the table. And so the, the path that Kelly is describing, you know, will require more milestones, more benchmarks, figuring out how do we get there, how long it's going to take us to get there. And so, you know, it, it sounds like Greek to a lot of nonprofits even speak this way because they're looking at two things, sustainability and sustainability. I mean, they're really just trying to keep their head above water and determine how they're going to keep funding. So I guess one of the things that Kelly and I face constantly is helping them to not be so funding focused, you know, just trying to get the money Mm -hmm. in the door, Mm -hmm. but to really be look to really take a better look at impact. Mm -hmm. I'm sure story is a big part of that. What are we Mm -hmm. trying to do and being able to get somebody to buy in and you talked about partners what what is a partner for for these type of organizations typically look like who do, who who is that well it depends so let's say your issue is juvenile justice if your issue is juvenile justice it's really important that you've got a strong partnership with the government right because the state is the one responsible for the system that oversees juvenile justice. Same thing if it's education. It's gonna be very, very difficult for you to get inroads if you don't have a strong relationship with the principal or the school district, right? right? right. Um, And uh, you need to have some sense of the opportunity there before you even really commit yourself because if certain partners are not aligned and in place, you're not gonna be successful no matter what you do. And where we see success is where funders are at the table. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, public, private, funder because the funder wherever the money's coming from if they don't understand the scope of the problem or how to get there then they're going to run out of patience which means they run out of money and uh, you can't really bring you know bring a, a true outcome to your work not-for-profit experts and consultants kelly burton and q frazier with me uh, talking about how they go about helping those not-for-profits achieve their goals and do so efficiently trying to maximize the value for the money that they have been able to secure from partners in the community and and know that they're actually having the social impact uh, that they're trying to achieve and it sounds like it's logistically challenging to do that and and i can only imagine how many people that it takes to be boots on the ground to get out and, and get all of those folks involved. Is it typically the small business community that these companies are relying on? I would imagine they're also trying to go to the big corporations, the Coca-Colas of the world, the Home Depots. How does that process flow? How do you guide them through that? Well, I think small businesses are an an under, (laughs) untapped resource. Absolutely. And I wrote a a piece on this on LinkedIn the other day. Small businesses struggle because they've got the resources. A lot of times small businesses are giving more on average than corporations, but they don't have the infrastructure to be very strategic. So if you're a small business, you give kind of based on who asks, you know, what the staff cares about, how much money you've got at the end of the budget cycle. And that doesn't allow you to effectively plug into the nonprofit community Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. really maximize your investment. Whereas corporations, they're wired. They've got entire divisions on corporate responsibility, um, uh, entire giving portfolios. So they're structured to kind of be more plugged in. That's why it's a lot of opportunity that's not being, um, you know, tapped into or taken advantage of in the small business space where the direct kind of go to is the corporate sector because they're they're plugged in. There may be collaborative opportunities. Melissa's company marketing uh, focuses on the small business community. So there may be, who knows, some collaborative opportunities down the road because they focus on getting the word outside of things. Yeah, yeah, and nonprofits struggle in that yeah, area. That's, yeah, absolutely. I've um, just been spending the last 12 months building a not-for-profit in rural Australia, um, which I hope to roll out throughout the world, and um, basically trying to help 
people in rural communities understand that being an entrepreneur is, you know, a, a career choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very important. The particular town that I chose has about 12,000 people in the very broader spectrum. Um, in reality, it has 6,000 people. Um, when I went to school there, there was 4,000 students. So <laughs> do wow. the numbers. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's a really different environment. Um, what really touched me was an old boss of mine said to me, do you know that a farmer is committing suicide every single week in this region? Wow. And it really touched me. I grew, mm. I grew up in a farming family. And what does that mean to me? Now, I've always been charitable. Uh, I am a small business owner. Um, and it's really important to me to be giving money back to the community. And I've always been very mindful that I don't give back to associations or, or charities that are very highly um, strung on costs for administration. So I'm very aware of that. Mm-hmm. So what I've done is I've built a business incubator in Charters Towers, which I've funded mm-hmm. um, 100% myself um, at this stage. Um, government, of course, is now coming forth and saying, please pick me. We'll we'll give you some money, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, a really good story for them. But what I want to see change is one Um, I grew up in a family, a European family, where my father was the provider. And, you know, if he wasn't able to provide for the family, I can't imagine what he would have done because generation after generation is the man that provides for the family. Obviously, we live in a different world and and the gender equality in this room today is amazing, right? (laughs) It is pretty great. But, but, you know, when when they're brought up that way and they've never seen anything different, it's hard to create change. Um, The other thing is when you're at school in a place like Charters Towers, it is a rural community. Um, It is very scary. What's next? What about if you're not the smartest kid at school? What about if you're not getting good grades? You know, what about if there's no mentors there or nobody's showing you the way? And when I was a kid, I um, was brought up to really think, you know, you need to be the smartest kid at school, but then you need to marry well. (laughs) Um, And, you know, and that was the only hope my family had for me. You know, my path changed by getting my first job without letting them know. Um, and falling in love with it, and I've been in marketing now for 24 years. Um, But, you know, changing that perception. So I've spent a lot of time talking at schools and explaining to students that, you know, in in the town that I'm talking about, agriculture and mining are the two big sectors. Um, They've been in a long-term drought, so that's why the farmers are really struggling. And, um, you know, there's... You know, it doesn't look like the future is getting much brighter as far as that's concerned, and that's a, a big deal for a rural community that's really based on farming. The second thing is mining. We're down to one mine. You know, at one stage we had something like 13 or 14 mines. We were the biggest city in Queensland at one stage. You know, how does that happen? Um, it does happen. We run out of resources. It's a reality. Yeah. You mm-hmm. need to change. And to get communities to change in that way is incredibly hard. Yes. And it's incredibly difficult. Um, now, I'm giving a lot of my personal money and resources. Um, the only cost that will come out of this entire incubator will be a community officer. 
Hmm. And everything else will be funded by myself and by my friends. And I think that that's really important because it shows a a community that's very sceptical. They're like, why are you giving us money? You know, why would you do that? Mm -hmm. And on Facebook yesterday, I saw two comments that said, this must be a scam. People don't give away money. And then... You know, it broke my heart because, of course, they think that way because they don't know any different. They've not seen different. They're not exposed to what everyone at this table is exposed to. And it is about creating change. Mm -hmm. And that is a really difficult thing. And taking on this task is far more difficult than I ever imagined possible. It is really making me think Um, a lot differently. I have to look at other people's perspectives in a very different way. You know, my immediate reaction to someone writing scam is, how dare you? Right. Um, But no, it's not how dare you. You've not actually been taught any different. Mm -hmm. And what was really great is the Indigenous community in Charters Towers stepping forward and saying, you know what, we want to be entrepreneurs. How do we do it? And they don't know. So I need to, you know, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm a, I think in some ways, I always say I wasn't born an entrepreneur, but somehow I became one Mm -hmm. and I have a thousand ideas that I never, ever, you know, (laughs) realized realized and and made happen. So basically I'm building those ideas and handing it on a platter and giving them full ownership of these ideas. And it's just creating this, you know, oh, my God, I can't believe you're doing this. I'm like, why wouldn't I? I'm not going to finish that. I'm finishing my own business plan. I'm not going to make that happen. How about you make that happen and you make me proud? Right. And you make, you know, you create jobs for the community and let's make sure this is not a ghost town in 10 years' time. Let's actually make a difference. So I suppose it's a very different perspective. Oh, Um yeah, and it's hard work, let me tell you. It is. I- I've had tears over this because <laughs> it's so much harder than I ever thought it would be and it takes so much time to put in place and you have to have those structures you were talking about. You have to have that involvement and it isn't a one-man band. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose my natural inclination is I'm just going to make this happen and it's going to be successful and there's you know people are going to be successful in this incubator and... Yeah, we're going to change this whole community. But the biggest issue is they don't have ideas because they're not exposed to right, new ideas. Right. They, you know, Some of them don't even know who Bill Gates is or right. Richard Branson, <laughs> nor have they ever read a book, nor do they want to read a book, you know. So it's changing a whole mindset, and that's really, really difficult. Yeah, I was going to say that. That's that, I think that's the best part of the work that you're doing. Well, the most valuable is changing the mindsets of the people mm-hmm. in the community. And I applaud you because that's classic economic development pain that you're feeling, you know, bringing along the community so they can see the value. And you're creating jobs. You're, um, you're creating opportunities for business ownership. But more than that, you're changing the minds of the community. So I applaud that. And money will find you. They'll oh, be throwing it at you. Uh, I'm, <laughs> and I'm actually not worried about the money because money is something that, that does come your mm-hmm, way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very happy to fund it 100% myself. And I have to be honest, I am. I'm so passionate about it. I'm so passionate about these 14-year-old girls that they don't go and get pregnant because they can get benefits. And benefits in Australia are very, very good. (laughs) So there really is no reason to work when you get benefits in Australia. So if you can get pregnant really young, you're set up for life. 
Wow. And that's really sad that that actually occurs. Makes you stop developing. Yeah. So Melissa's story obviously kind of highlights what we were talking about, Mm -hmm. Kelly, where you interface with an organization, like in this case, Melissa's business. Someone told her a story about her community, where she comes from, and she had an interest in wanting to help them. Mm -hmm. Uh, How do you help that that organization craft their story about what they're trying to achieve so that when they approach the business leaders like a Melissa Smith or like an executive at, um, at the, that place at Coca-Cola or Home Depot that's going to say, yes, this is what we want to support. How do you help them tell that story? Because I'm sure many of these business leaders are assailed on a regular basis, particularly oh, yeah. at the larger companies. Will you, will you support our organization? So how do you help them tell the story that gets that funded? Well, I, I'd be I'd be curious to hear what Keith thinks about this, but within the nonprofit sector, especially among consultants and even among foundations, there's this sense that there are too many nonprofits. I mean, they're being created at a breakneck speed. Um, so I would suggest to anybody thinking about starting a nonprofit. Just do your homework and get a sense of the lay of the land. Find out what's already out there. We find we see where a person will come up and say, oh, you know, this is a problem and I'm going to do something about it. And then they'll go on the start of 501c3 and then they'll go ask for money and say, well, did you talk to the other seven organizations that are doing something about <laughs> doing exactly it? exactly the same <laughs> thing, right? Right, because <laughs> they just came to us last week and they're saying the same thing. Right. So you can do your, you know, do your homework. And if you find that there really is a gap, then you start to think, okay, what's my point of differentiation here? How do I really, you know, present a, um, you know, pitch these folks on why we are better, why we're more efficient, why we're going to get it done faster? You know, what value are we adding to this space? Because in nonprofits, it's it's a broad sector, but then there are these spaces. It's, It's the youth development space. It's the juvenile justice space. It's the environment space. Right. And so they're very tight. And you need to be able to speak matter of factly about how you're going to add value to that space, to that conversation, to the work that's being done within that broader community. And so the story wraps around that. Right. So when you think about having to frame the value of a program like that in Queensland, it becomes how do I communicate? Why me? Why now? And why this issue? Right. Not just to funders, because, you know, to your point, maybe. Funding isn't an issue for you. For most nonprofits, it is, by the way. <laughs> but if it's if it's building uh, community collaboration, right, mm-hmm. bringing your community together, it, it, to Kelly's point, your voice has got to be the strongest in the way of having the ability to solve the problem, yeah. right? And then I always say, <clears throat> excuse me, numbers don't lie. And so the 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 better you're able to communicate specifically to what degree you're going to make your your community better and to what degree you're able to bring solutions, then more people will come along. For me to be able to say, I'm going to help two children, I mean, two families come off of welfare, sounds pretty cool. But if I can say I'm going to collaborate with four other organizations and bring 100 families off of welfare, then all of a sudden I go to the top of the list of the person that's creating the most impact in my community. So, you know, the stories, the feel good, the heartstrings mm-hmm. in, in the fundraising world is very critical for what I called, I call the nickel and dime campaigning, getting people on board, the crowdfunding mm-hmm. model, getting lots of people to be a part of my crowd to support my issue. But when you want to scale, we're all business owners, when you're ready to scale your social work, your social impact, impact work to another level of funding sources, then it has to be more of a, 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 a communication of 
outcomes and long-term impact mm. in a way that you're that you're touching a larger segment or group of the population. So, what are the what are some of the best resources do you find in fundraising? Where where do you have the greatest success in terms of securing funds for I, I will tell you, and I, I've said this, and I just said this this week because someone calls me at least once a day asking for money. So <laughs> the best... I'm calling next week. Right? <laughs> uh, an, an old, an old, um, very, very, very experienced um, funder in this city actually told me, he said, Q, you ask for advice, you get money. You ask for money, you get advice. And what I found is the, the, the greatest source of funding are from partners and they're typically corporate partners are but they're from organizations or funders that the nonprofit has established a relationship with people think that grant writers like me are ma magicians like oh my god she just raises so much money she just goes out and just finds money i don't find money i uncover opportunities between two partners mm -hmm. and so what we find is where there are organizations that take the time to do the exploration to go out and talk to other individuals or organizations who have a similar interest in the in the issue they're they're looking to solve, then they come to the table and say, okay, what type of exchange? I want to grant you fifty thousand dollars, says SunTrust, so that you can go and help more children in South Atlanta to understand financial literacy. Mm -hmm. So that came from a conversation that Jill and I had over a course of time. So now I'm helping SunTrust, I'm helping Life University to carry out something, a goal that they already had. And so the best source of funding will come from among partners. It won't come from a cold blanket, you know, set of applications you put out there, or proposals you put out there, or call a Q and say, Q, I heard that, you know, there's $10 million available from the government. Can I go apply? Can I start a program to apply? It doesn't happen that way. In fact, I, I, I kid with people when they say, um, that they met a grant writer who said, well, just give me some money and I guarantee you I'll get this money. I said, you know, <laughs> I, I work with about 150 funders right now. And unless you literally lay in the bed next to them every night, <laughs> like you're married to them, yeah. there's no guarantee that they're going to give try you. that one. <laughs> tried it, right. Didn't work out. So. Yeah, that went poorly. <laughs> yeah, it didn't work out so well. But I'll try it again. <laughs> the other thing, I suppose the point, to mention is what I actually did, um, you know, I'm a businesswoman, so I know how to put a business together. I know how to put a business plan together. I know how to put a marketing strategy together. I know that I need to go out and talk at every single school. I know I need to talk at community groups. I know I need to be involved in the Chamber of Commerce. I know I need to be close with government. You know, I know all these things. I am a business person. But what are the one, the one thing that is my game changer is being brave enough to ask for mentors. Ah, yeah. And mentors in this in this area, mentors that have access to things that I wouldn't have access to or knowledge that I wouldn't have access to. And so what I've actually done is grabbed all of, all of these amazing individuals Good for around you. the world. Good for you. Um, because this rural incubator is not about Charters Towers. It's about setting up outside of Georgia. It's it's about setting up throughout America. It's Africa. It, you know, there's no reason we can't scale this and do exactly the same program right. and create jobs for people all over the place where That's they right. really need jobs. But mentors are able to let you think differently. I'm thinking like this. This is what I'm doing. This is my next step. Um, they actually say, no, think bigger. 
you know, what else can you do? How can you roll this out? What technologies do you need to build? What apps do you need to build to onboard them faster so they learn faster, so they go through all the courses and the learning and the development that they need to do to be able to be successful? Who do they need to partner with? If they want to bring out T-shirts, then who do they need to partner with? And in Australia, and I, and I don't know if it's in America, but certainly all through Europe, is a, a wonderful company called Cook Eye. It's a beautiful mm. French brand, absolutely stunning clothes. You, you girls would <laughs> love it. Um, but one of the guy, the guy that owns Cook Eye in Australia said, well, I can provide machines and teach people how to use those machines so that they can create clothing in mm. Charters Towers. Now, obviously, it's much cheaper to buy it in China. But that's not the purpose of what we're trying to achieve. We're trying to create jobs. We're trying to create skills. We're trying to create a situation where these young kids, male or female, go, well, when I finish school, I can be an entrepreneur or I can build this or I can build that. Um, I can build a tech, you know, an app that's going to be huge around the world. And it's called the World Incubator. And the reason I did that is it's about the world. It's about selling to the world. It's not about selling to your community. That's not enough. I like that. I like that concept. It's about selling Mm -hmm. to the world. And also the fact is, you know, straight away I thought I'm a business person. Roll it out and get other people like me that aren't looking for any kickback in the situation. I'm totally against high administration fees. Mm -hmm. I'm all about giving to the cause. You know, what can you do to help these people? And every single individual in the incubator, so every single person that either has that business idea or I'm giving them a business idea, um, is being paid to be in that incubator. Hmm. And we're not taking away any part of their company. That's good. So, I mean, who else is doing that in the world? They're just not. Mm -mm. Everyone wants a piece of something. They always want something back for something. And... You know, we're trying to do something that's really different and really ethical. And I loved how you started off with, you know, it it is about integrity and and it's about ethics because it really is, you know. know, Anyone can give money, but if you're asking for something in return, is that really giving money? Is that really that charitable? Right, right, right. You know, obviously these relationships need to work hand in hand with big corporations and there's social responsibility and and we need to be mindful of that without their money. a lot of change cannot actually happen. So, you know, it, it works in some places and it doesn't work in others. Yeah. Sometimes by asking for money, it causes conflicts and other issues too. And that's applaud you for all the tools that you've given all these young kids. And yeah. It does yeah. seem like very scalable. I yeah, congratulate you too, Melissa, because that is the true definition of integrity is taking the best of what you've got and offering it to the world. Thank you. So, thank you. Thank you. You had a thought, Kelly? Well, I was just going to say when it comes to... Uh, when I work with my small business clients and my foundations, I tell them to be careful with um, the altruism because I think within the charity world, altruism has kind of gotten us in a a tough place because a lot of times funders will say, well, I'm giving it. I don't expect anything back. It's like, no, when you're walking past your, your, your local neighborhood panhandler, you can drop $5 in and not care about what happens to that $5. But if you're giving thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars, you better have some expectation about what's happening to that money because you need to be accountable because these problems are just getting 
harder and more complex and more entrenched. And part of it is because we're giving money away with not a whole lot of expectation of what people do with it. And it's like, no. You're not watching to see whether or not, in, in Melissa's story's case, if yeah. the residents of that community are benefiting yeah. by this effort. Yeah. I mean, that's what you're talking right. about. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, put and the so pressure put the pressure on us nonprofits. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 We've got a huge goal. About a thousand jobs in three years. I love it. And you know, every single for person is responsible for that. That's huge. Every single person is responsible for that. I don't care how they do it, but they've got to do it and they've got to believe they can do it. So and you, we, put out, you put out the expectation to receive integrity in return, yeah. which totally makes sense. I yes. mean, that's where relationships are built and that's where great things are built and yeah. put together. And, and what I would also challenge you, because I love the, the global model. In fact, it's very scalable the way that you're approaching it. Bring those funders to the table. I mean, there are some international funders like your Fords and your MacArthur's and Gates, actually, who's very interested in the global space and who would want to participate in rolling out something. I don't know if they're specifically interested in entrepreneurship, yeah. but um, in the way that you know, as you're growing your model in other countries, mm. right, you're able to duplicate your heart and your vision in places. But more than that, you're able to sustain it over yeah. time um, because you've brought the funders in on the front end. And, you know, I, I would say transferred mm. your heart um, of what you're looking to accomplish um, over time. I, I don't I'm glad you don't need the money, but tell them you need the money because <laughs> five years from now you will need the money to scale across the country. And I, I would also say um, it, a thousand jobs over, you said three years. Yeah. I love that number. It's a great number. You know, being it's able, possible, it's, po- it's, it's very possible. possible. Yeah. And you talk about, we talked about stories of um, CW. I would, you know, in the, in the end of year one, I like to hear what those entrepreneurs look like. You know, mm. were they those girls you're talking about? You know, what else is happening in their life? Did, what did they accomplish because mm. they got that job? So, yeah. you know, at the end of year, year one, you're in marketing. I can't wait to hear what those entrepreneurs look yeah. like, what they're, and that's really what we, at the essence of our practices, get to the outcomes, the change yeah. in behavior, change in mm-hmm. process. Because then I can go to Ford and yeah. say, are you kidding me? There are 20 families in Kenya who now, you know, are micro entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and they have now, you know, there were, there was only one place with running water. Now they're, t- you know, it. looking at the, what I call the macro effects of yeah. one program like yours, I think will be. A phenomenal story. For folks who aren't familiar with the company, Melissa, talk about Marketing Eye. You serve the the small businesses in particular. Introduce folks to the to the company and what you're all about. Yeah, so Marketing Eye was started in 2004, and I always find it boring when you say how long ago something was started, but I think it's really relevant because businesses and entrepreneurs evolve and they change. Um, what we primarily do is provide an outsourced marketing department to small to medium-sized businesses. And they're typically, you know, that million-dollar mark where they want to jump to two, three, four, five million, or they're anywhere up to $200 million in revenue. So it's, it's quite a broad scope. Um, our company focuses on what I call the unsexy industry. So we like the medical devices and the health and, <laughs> and technology and manufacturing and anything that, you know, the cool dudes out there <laughs> and the cool marketers and PR people really don't want don't to want touch. To. <laughs> so that's really what we focus on. Um, our business 
business has evolved so much and you know over time I, I learned so much I, I structured the business I built processes I built systems and I built ways in which we could market businesses that no one else was using Smart. and in creating that unique point of difference um, what's been amazing is I realized to scale that business globally I have a business plan and I need to finish it um, <laughs> to be able to do that, you know, I need help. And sure. one of the biggest issues a professional services firm has is people. So, mm-hmm. you know, how, what do you do about that? So I set up a licensing model. We have a magazine, a hard copy magazine that's on the shelves of news agencies. Mm-hmm. We have technology that we've built ourselves. We have education and training. We have all these different divisions within our company that we've built and evolved over time because we realised it was needed in the market. But the licensing model is amazing. And at the moment we have five licensees and three earlier licensees. They're now hitting, you know, between the six months and the 12-month mark. Now they paid between 15000 and 25000 for a licence. And each of them are on $300,000 a year now. Good for you. They would never have been able to do that on in corporate. Mm-hmm. No way. And, you know, some of one of them had a business for eight years, so a marketing business for eight years, and she said, I never made 300000 in a year. To be able to do that, oh, my God, that's so powerful. Mm-hmm. That's so exciting. I'm creating an opportunity for this person to grow and do something that they love, work less hours, and have a brand that they're really, really proud of, and they're actually helping me evolve it and expand it and build it in a way that I would never have been able to do myself. And these people have brains. They're really smart cookies. So they're able to bring something to the table. It allows me to completely continue that innovative process that makes us, you know, work harder, faster, smarter, and keeps us apart from the competitors. Everyone's walking this way. We're always walking the opposite direction. (laughs) Always. Disruptive, I like that. And um, we're disruptive by design. Um, We go into businesses with change in mind. You know, all of those things that are really, really important. But our business has changed so much. and, And you would know over the time we've known each other that, you know, building a global business, um, it's hard work and sometimes it's really lonely. Mm-hmm. I own the company 100% myself, so it's sometimes a really lonely experience. But at the same time, to see that executed, to see offices opening, you know, our aim this year is 20 new licensees in the US and an extra 10 to 20 offices in the US. I mean, that's aggressive, that is, very easy it. to do. Um, we're very lucky. It's a profitable model. Um, and it, profit does matter in business. You know, there's so many businesses out there and they go, well, we'll worry about profit later. Well, no. You know, you still have to pay your bills mm-hmm. and you need to pay them on time. <laughs> so, you know, there, there's other things to actually think about. But Marketing I, you know, allows companies to tell the story the way that they want it told to their target audiences and be able to connect with them in a way that they wouldn't normally have access to. Our people are better trained than anyone else in the market. They have more skills. They understand every single facet of the marketing mix. And you won't find too many marketers out there that actually understand every single facet of the marketing mix. And that is really part of our program. That's part of our onboarding. And that is what makes us different. And that what that is what makes us scalable. That it makes us a company that can be in any country, anywhere in the world. 
And recently we did a deal with the Netherlands and we'll be in the Netherlands and in Germany over the next six months. And they have more aggressive growth plans than I do, which <laughs> is... Yeah, which is good. Um, but they have access to things as well. And, and and the partner that I chose there was a very influential partner who immediately came to the table with a million dollar account. So that's helpful, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what every entrepreneur wants to hear. But, you know, that's not always going to be the case, but it's really about creating something different, being disruptive, being brave enough to go into markets that where nobody knows you. When I moved here, nobody knew me. And we built a successful business in in Atlanta. Um, Young people run that business. You know, that's the most, you know, Katie's the the oldest in the the group. She's 32. Everyone else is sub 25. And they run an awesome ship and they run a profitable ship and they do amazing things. And I never, ever, ever hear complaints from clients. And it's just such a wonderful thing to be able to empower young people to say, listen, in marketing, it doesn't matter how old you are. It matters how good you are. Mm-hmm. And it matters how interested you are in learning. And that's what we've been able to achieve as a company. And the interesting thing about your model is positioning yourself in that small to mid-sized place. It's sometimes challenging for those companies to afford the expertise to do the things that you're able to do mm-hmm. on the level that you're able to do it. You're able to bring and provide true marketing experts, true web design experts, true graphics folks. I mean, high level people that that's all they do. Yeah. And they're able to outsource that access to those experts Mm -hmm. for far less in overall than what it would cost them to try to have that team on their own. Or Um, to use freelancers. It's it's much more effective. So we've kept the cost as low as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's funny when I say I run a profitable model. But yet I was able to keep the cost lower than, you know, anyone else out in the market. Um, we do everything in-house. There's no outsourcing. There's no freelancers. There's no part-timers. Mm. Everyone's full-time employee. And we really focus on training them to be the best. You know, we have this constant, relentless need for improvement. And everybody lives and breathes that every single day. You know, so whatever, if you designed a brand today, it's got to be better tomorrow. Absolutely. Learning about Marketing Eye from founder and CEO, Melissa Smith. And for your licensees, what are you typically looking for in terms of their professional makeup? Yeah, so licensees like marketers when they come to us, they're not quite good enough. And that's the truth. They're not across every area of marketing. And so what we look for is a bare minimum of five years experience in marketing. Um, From there, we'll actually train them. They go through a 12-module training system that teaches them how to be the best marketer they can be. And then we collaborate. And collaboration um, with licensees is ongoing. So every month they collaborate with our team. They're using, you know, the best web developers. Our web developers know how to be number one on Google without cheating. Our graphic designers are as good as any big ad agency. So You have a beautiful website. It's evidence of that. Yeah, and our magazine is is one of the most beautiful on the shelf. You know, I look at it and go, oh, it's so pretty. But, you know, they're working with a team of people that are really, really talented and they learn from that, those people. And, and, you know, a web developer, his job is to go back and teach those licensees what he actually does 
You know, what does he do? That, how does he make somebody number one on Google? All those things that are really, really important because they're going to need to have that conversation mm-hmm. at some stage with their clients. Right. Yep. And they're ne- going to need to know that knowledge. But who's teaching those people? You know, when you work as a marketing manager in an organisation, you're so busy doing your job. You actually forget you might get one course a year. It's not enough. Technology's changing every single day. Marketing's changing every single day. You have to keep up to date. You have to keep abreast of what is the latest and greatest. And you need to understand if a, a new technology comes out, whether it actually is going to work for your business or whether it is not going to work for your business. Mm-hmm. And that is really, really difficult. So we take all of that away from them and then provide them with what they need to know to be able to do the best they possibly can for the clients that they're working with. And that really goes back to being the most ethical marketer they can Mm -hmm. be because marketing consultants, you know, salespeople call themselves marketing consultants. (laughs) So, you know, what do they know about marketing? They know about sales. Now, marketing provides the forum for sales to occur, okay? But we don't sell. Um, So it's really changing that whole paradigm and... That in itself is really hard and it's hard to say to a marketing manager, you actually don't know everything. I know you think you know everything, but I promise you one day here, we're going to teach you stuff you never knew. And what a great opportunity to be able to become a, a part of what is now a global brand. Yeah. Um, so you have mass from from day one once you switch over and become part of the, the marketing eye group. Yeah, absolutely. And using, you know, those hundreds of case studies and mm-hmm. those hundreds of examples and looking at our library of, you know, what we've done before, what's failed, you know, what's <laughs> succeeded because, you know, in marketing, it's all grey, huh? That's right. And, you know, we try to use as much metrics as possible and with technology and with online and digital marketing, we're able to do that. But there's still a lot that's grey and that's still terrifying to think that people throw a lot of money in grey. Um, and it's because they've got these long-standing relationships with old agencies that they've been working with forever and the marketing manager hasn't changed in the last 10 years or maybe 20 years and and they're not and they're just relying on this agency to provide them with you know the answers and it's changing and you need to change and and sometimes it's best to change that person and and change it all up and Repitch your work out there. Uh, and we don't pitch, by the way, so that's not our space. So we don't pitch for work. You either, you know, we have a proven track record. You either want to work with us or you don't. Right. We want a good fit. It's all about culture. It's mm. all about the happiness of our staff. It's all about the happiness good. of our clients. It's a very different environment. Good. Now, in addition to seeing photos of you in international airports and all kinds of amazing <laughs> locales around the globe uh, with your travels, I, I saw something recently that you're looking for a CEO here in the States. Have you found that person? And if not, what are you looking for? Okay. Yes, we're definitely looking for a CEO. We have obviously quite aggressive marketing strategy for ourselves. I really want to finish this business plan. Mm-hmm. Um, it's no point in me starting my next one until this one's finished to to the end. You know, you realize as an entrepreneur, you're really good at some things. You're not good at everything. Amen. And <laughs> the, the best thing any entrepreneur can do is realize their limitations mm-hmm. and understand what you're good at and what you're not. And I'm very in touch with those things. And I'm looking for a CEO. I'm looking for someone who's hungry, who's ambitious, who's ethical, who's kind. And kindness is so important in our organization. Yeah, and somebody who really can see our vision and can see how 
it can develop throughout the US. Um, the US market is really important to us, mm-hmm. but you know, Europe as well, and then there's Asia, and and you know, who really wants to be part of that? Um, I also want someone who wants to be the voice. I never had a desire to be the person up in front of everyone. That's not my dream. And I want somebody who has that dream, who wants to tell the story of Marketing Eye and who wants to bring people in. And it's really funny to hear that as an entrepreneur, you think every entrepreneur wants to tell their story and, you know, we want to be in magazines and all that but sort of stuff. But you have to tell your clients that because my marketing team tells me the same thing. So <laughs> I would assume you tell your clients that, but you don't want to. <laughs> true, true, true. I'm going to throw my hat in the ring. Every shirt in my closet is blue. <laughs> Uh, and there is a thing about wearing marketing eye blue to every meeting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in black today. I'm so sorry. You've got your Steve Jobs on. Yeah. Minus yeah, the turtleneck. Yeah. And I believe, I believe in Steve Jobs' theory. If you wear the same clothes to work every single day, there's one less thing you need to oh, think, think about. Yeah. Right. That's Mark right. Zuckerberg yeah. does That's the right. same, same thing. thing. Yeah. Well, before I run out of time, I got to get uh, over here and talk a little bit to Stuart Sanford of Mazone and Associates. I got connected with you not too long ago, had mm-hmm. a chance to meet you at the ACG Capcom event. Mm-hmm. For the folks who aren't familiar with Mazone and Associates, give a little background. Yeah, we're a uh, middle market investment bank based here in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, working a lot with small and medium businesses similar to Melissa and her team. And similar to some of these stories of firms that we've worked with, we've got a team with diverse backgrounds working primarily with companies and helping them execute transactions, whether they're entrepreneurs or business owners or companies that have bought another entity looking to sell that business or um, looking to go acquire other businesses. Finally, we also work with a lot of groups in finding alternative forms of capital to help them grow their businesses as well as execute other strategic initiatives that they're looking to do. Now, you um, you personally, you kind of have a focus in the healthcare sector. And uh, so, yeah, so our firm, we cover a diverse array of industries and I've, I've focused specifically on our healthcare coverage. We have an individual who focused so, solely on our industrials and food and beverage practice as well as a lot on our retail and restaurant industry as well. Well, I know that there's a lot of emphasis going in from like the Metro Atlanta Chamber, for example, and mm-hmm. just the center for economic growth and development that really trying to turn Atlanta into a center of innovation, not just in healthcare, but mm-hmm. across the board. So much effort and, and uh, energy is being expended to try to draw those companies here. Are you seeing that trend? Are we are we starting to have some success? I've heard that uh, in terms of like venture capital, for example, sometimes mm-hmm. companies are moving out to the uh, mm-hmm. Minneapolis and the Nashvilles and the Memphis and the other locations, so, Boston and so forth. And we want yeah. to become here. Yeah, Atlanta has a really strong fintech early stage community and venture community, as well as a, as a really strong healthcare venture community. There are other industries, and there's a lot of not-for-profit groups and other groups who are helping to bring a lot of those capital providers down here, to, and also executives as well, who help found companies like our great entrepreneurs that we have here in town, as well as throughout the Southeast. So, Yes, there's a lot of initiative of bringing both capital providers as well as uh, companies down here, incentives as well to bring those entities. If you look at some of the incubators that have been established, I think you're starting to see a lot of those companies, not all of them hit, but see a lot of those companies really come to fruition and mature and start to get to that stage where they're starting to hire large employment bases and support the community more. And what usually generates that environment is usually you have your first or two Um, earlier stage companies grow and have a big hit. And a lot of those founders end up funding or supporting or being mentors to that next wave Mm -hmm. of companies. And so maybe where 
Silicon Valley or New York or some of the major metro hubs maybe had a a step ahead on Atlanta and Georgia overall in the Southeast, we're seeing a lot of activity of early stage companies really show a lot of growth, be disruptive, present different ideas and perspectives in their sub-markets and really make some change in the world. And it's really exciting to work with those companies as they look to execute their strategies. And we're part of the puzzle, but oftentimes part of a greater team that's trying to help them execute that process. Now, I'm just learning about the, this particular space as we've talked about in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so I know that from talking to other folks along the way, a, a little bit about the, the financial services side of things and, and selling uh, my business, mm-hmm. um, I know that you need to start planning that pretty early on. if you. You see mm-hmm. that you've got a business trajectory and a product and service that mm-hmm. that would make sense to be able to maybe be acquired at some point in time. Yeah. You got to plan early to be structured for that. But mm-hmm. how do you pull the trigger? I mean, are the people that you're talking to coming to you to say, hey, we're thinking about it? Or are you also reaching out to uh, appealing companies that look like they may be from a growth perspective and size perspective, mm-hmm. structure and all of that, that mm-hmm. maybe they should think about it? How does that flow? Yeah, so the process, it's really about meeting the business owner and reading and and really meeting and understanding their needs and what do they want to achieve in life. And oftentimes we like to encounter the business owner um, or, you know, in the end, whoever is, you know, funding the company uh, to really understand their perspective and needs and really want to meet them as early on in the process as possible to really help, you know, whether it's us in regards to our specific services or regards to putting them in touch with the right people who might try and help them with that initiative to really kind of help them, help guide them to that, um, to the point at which they want to go to, whether it's you know, in their ten, two-year time horizon or five-year time horizon. Um, you know, if a, an executive has or an owner has a more immediate need of what they're looking to do or grow their company, um, oftentimes we're trying to find um, the best forms of capital or um, what we like to call strategic capital. It's we alluded to in the not-for-profit yeah, discussion right. earlier. If a, if a capital provider can also provide that, um, you know, whether it's a Rolodex or just, you know, from overall experience, you know, be able to be a mentor to that company, whether from the board level or from another position, you know, oftentimes, you know, that fit is is the best situation. But um, there are many different strategies to executing growth. Um, licensing and royalty is a great efficient structure to use. Uh, there's also, you know, ec- you know, hiring and spending a lot of money on sales and marketing. There's a lot of, um, you know, whether it's a, you know, heavy asset business, you know, spending money on new um, production lines or CapEx, there's all different types of things that we try and evaluate. And really, in the end, you know, what is in the best interest of the owner? Are they looking for the most amount of dollars or do, you know, we find some, sometimes find business owners who it's not really dollars that's important. It's really about cultural fit, cultural fits, or even simple things in a rural community, really keeping that business base there and keeping the employment base there. And that's what supports the community. Oftentimes, the business owner we're working with is the provider for not just their family, but for the whole community. Mm-hmm. And so if they see their company move, it really affects, um, you know, the macro environment of that community. And that's something that you know, for a lot of these business owners, um, you know, when we try, we have a very similar mantra to a lot of people on the show with high integrity and ethics. We like to find a lot of business owners who are, think um, similarly. You know, oftentimes that's very much front of mind. And so, you know, we try and balance that with all the other needs. And um, as I said, we'd like to, we can usually present the most amount of value early on. And, and we work with a lot of companies before we're engaged and, you know, work with them for two or three years before we even end up doing something. Right. And so um, we really enjoy that part of the process and really, 
you know, being just a voice at first and really trying to help out and, you know, and really think about, you know, how do we get to that spot that they want to get to and, and what's the most, you know, the best way to get there. Now, I'm going to, I owe you a trip back because I want to talk more about Mazone Associates. In that room at, at Capcom, there was mm-hmm. many, many capital sources out there and <laughs> M&A kind of people. How do you differentiate yourself from, from the other guys? Uh, so in a few different ways, we, uh, our team is built around different experiences and, um, and expertises. Uh, so our firm is a, a non-traditional investment banking firm where we have ex-attorneys to le- corporate lenders to corporate development officers um, it, within our firm who have a lot of different perspectives to bring to the table. So that's one first thing. And then, uh, you know, secondarily, we are a firm that Although we cover a lot in regards to industries, we do specialize internally, and that's one of the ways that we do. And we oftentimes, in, in our line of business, um, you know, similar to other service businesses, it's testament to the work that you do and really the processes and the infrastructure that you've created and, and really doing that on a repeated basis. And so oftentimes, our product, we try and have speak for itself more than, and oftentimes that speaks louder than any marketing strategy or whatever we try and do, but it's multifaceted and, and, uh, and we're a smaller firm cause so we can be nimble and, um, you know, we, I wear the marketing hat as well as execute transactions. So, um, you know, everybody here at the table, I think we are talking about on the marketing consultant side, we can, you know, we actually execute the deals as well. So sometimes um, you find on the marketing side for some of these firms that, you know, not doing that, but anyway, you know, out of that big room, and those are some of the ways that we try and differentiate ourselves. You have to promise to come back so we can drill deeper into the company. Will do. Tell folks where they can go get more information about Mazon. Uh, you can find it. We're on the, uh, we have a website. Uh, it's global M&A, G-L-O-B-A-L, mna.com and uh, you can find our profiles as well as um, some of the prior work that we've done as um, as well as um, some of our experience so and Jill real, real quickly what's the website for life talks world life congress? talks world congress is lifetalks.org and melissa how about marketing eye um just marketingeye.com and then Kelly and Q you guys have some website or yes. social media yes socialimpactadvisor.com okay nexusresearchonline.com. If you are coming back and you're checking out the podcast, you've not done so already, in the upper left-hand corner of the show page, you'll see the Apple logo there. That'll take you over to the iTunes store where the Midtown Business Radio Show podcast lives. Subscribe to it so you can check out these cool guests that we're bringing to you on a weekly basis. It'll be downloaded straight to your device when the new podcast comes out every week after the live show is streamed. And so we really hope you do that. And if you check out our shows, you have some comments, please leave them for us. We'd love to hear your feedback. And if you have topics that you would like for us to cover, we would really want to try to do that for you as well. Everybody in the studio, thanks so much, man. This was an awesome one. I think it might be a fortuitous conversation, actually, between everybody here. I love it when that happens. It was beautiful. Jill, thank you so much. Thanks, man. This has been a great one. <laughs> Absolutely. Everybody out there who made us a part of your day today, thank you very much. We'll see you all same time, same place next week.